Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, praise the Lord. There's definitely victory in Jesus' name. And victory is not found in any other name. His name is the name that's above every name. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to that name. It will. There's victory in Jesus' name. There's victory in Jesus' name. We've been talking about prayer. We talked about prayer last week. And I know there's got to be several people praying for me. And I can't prove it. The doctor didn't tell me. I can just feel it. But I know my healing is speeding along faster than it should. This week's been a a great week. Um, and it may not look like it, and um, but it sure feels like it. I didn't get up this morning and start off with any push-ups or anything, but I'm a lot further along this week than last week. I mean a lot further along, a whole lot further along. And uh, it's because of prayer, and nothing gets accomplished without prayer. So if you haven't been praying for me, how about get started? There's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus says, hold up now. That's too much praying going on. Let's just do this thing in moderation. He never says that. He never says it's too much prayer. He never says it's too much word. You can't pray too much. You can't ingest too much of the word. You can't do that. You can't OD on it. And if you could, that'd be the greatest thing you could OD on. Amen? Amen. Well, there's victory in Jesus' name. And man, that's powerful. That's really powerful. We'll pick up right here. Matthew 6, chapter 9th verse. Jesus is telling his disciples, he, he said, don't pray like them. And he's talking about the Pharisees, the, the religious people who are standing on the corner wanting to be seen and be heard and, and, and saying the same thing over and over and getting louder and louder just to be seen and heard. But he says, go in private. And he says, in this manner, therefore pray. He didn't say pray this prayer exactly and that's all you do. He said, in this manner. In other words, this is an outline. This is an guide. This is instructions on how you should pray. And we went through this last week. He says, in this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, that's his name and that's his address. We're not praying to anybody else. It's not some kind of Muslim God or some other kind of false God. It's our Father. And notice there, it's our Father. It's not my Father. He says, pray to our Father. In other words, he's saying, He's your Father too. I'm your brother. This is how you pray. You pray to our Father. Our Father in heaven. In other words, you used to be very far away from Him because sin separated you. But now you're praying to our Father because I brought you back. I brought you very near. And now you're a son. You're a daughter. You're a child of God. There's an inheritance for you. And He's your daddy. Amen. That's good news. You, you once were far off and now you're a citizen of the kingdom. It, it's, it's our Father. You're not praying to my Father. You're praying to our Father. He's our Father. And Jesus is saying, He's our Father. He's, he's your Father just the same as He's my Father. That's what He's telling them. Hallowed be thy name. In other words, your name is a name that's above every name. Your name's pure. And if I don't see it clearly, please uh, wipe the bugs off the windshield. Clean my glasses. I need a new lens because I want to see you. I want to see clearly. Amen. He says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Now notice me back up. Give us our daily bread. Us. Us. And forgive us our debts and as we forgive uh, our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. In other words, it's plural. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And amen. That's something we need to memorize. That's something we need to know and uh, pray in this manner. And we'll, we'll look into it a little bit closer. But I just want you to see there's emphasis put on He's our God. He's our Father. It's ours. Us. We. Us. Amen. That's good news. Now, before we move on, let me, let me just say this. I think a lot of people take prayer as um, something that you've got to do special. And prayer is special. I'm not saying that at all. But I mean, you don't have to be a very well-educated person. You don't have to get all the words just right. You don't have to set a timer and do it at a specific time. Prayer is a conversation. If I want to talk to God, that's prayer. If I'm riding down the road, it, basically if I get up in the morning get myself together, get dressed, get in my truck, and I'm driving down the road. And I, you know, here's, here's usually how my prayer starts off. Is uh, A lot of times I do this as I'm getting out of the bed. That, Lord, I'm glad to be here. I say it just like that. I'm glad to be here. Now, if we was in heaven, that would be even better. But I'm still glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. And I say, Lord, thank you for my wife. I do that first. Well, thank you for my wife. Thank you so much for her because it's way better than I deserve or that I could ever deserve. Thank you for my kids. Thank you that all my kids were blessed, were highly favored, they're healed from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Thank you for my kids, for my wife, for my family. Mothers, daddies, aunts, uncles, in-laws, outlaws, go down the list. Y'all understand what I'm saying? It's just a conversation. I'm, I'm first of all just thanking Him for Him. Thank Him in advance. We're healed. And so a day without prayer or a week without prayer or a month without prayer or a year without prayer or years without praying is basically saying, I don't need you today. I don't need you this week. I don't need you this month. I don't need you this year and I don't need you for these years. I got it. That's ultimately what you're saying. My finances are good. I need not pray about my finances. I got it. And by the time you think you got it, yeah, you're going to get it. I, no need in thanking you or praying or anything about healing. We're all healthy. Once again, do you, do you think Satan sleeps? It's a daily thing. But Lord, we're, 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 you're just it's in constant prayer. It's just a, it, it should be no different than let's hope you brush your teeth every morning. That's usually the second thing I do is brush my teeth. I never forget to brush them. I've never got on my way to work and thought, "Woo, forgot to brush those babies." I've never done that. How could you forget to brush your teeth, dear Lord? I mean, wake up in the morning and knock a buzzard off a gut wagon with that breath. You, you're gonna brush them things, right? Come on, y'all live, y'all wake out there, knock a buzzard off a gut wagon. You get it? That'd be tough to do. That'd be some pretty stinky breath. I don't think mine's ever been that bad. Thank you, Jesus. But anyway. Prayer should be the same way. It's not a like a, oh man, I, I forgot again. 
It should just be a part. It's, it's, it's just in your routine. It's part of your life. Part of your daily routine is to pray and talk to Him. And like I said, nothing. It, it's not like uh, it's just a conversation. You talk to Him the same as you talk to me. I'm telling you, people think they got to turn their prayer into Old King James. That's not it. You don't have to turn your prayer into Old King James. You just turn it into whatever language, ever how you speak. You can use words like ain't. That's fine. Y'all with me? I mean, it's just a conversation. Lord, I got this situation at work and I didn't realize this, but I made a mistake and this happened and it's not looking good. And, uh, mm, you know, if I've ever needed you yesterday, uh, that's prayer. Show me something. Open my eyes. Let me see a way to fix this, to, to, to solve this problem, or give me favor with this man or this woman. They'll show me some leniency, or they'll help me, or this. That's prayer. That's prayer. It's as simple as that. Just talking to God, letting Him be a part of your daily life and, and, and what's going on. Just talking to Him. Amen? So, anyway, in John, the. 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters, uh, there's something that's different in John 14, 15, and 16 that's not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Okay? And we're going we're gonna to look at that. But in, in uh, John, the 14th chapter, and the 13th verse, um, or actually the 13th chapter is where Jesus washes their feet. And then the 17th chapter is the Garden of Gethsemane. So the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapter falls in between there. And that's where the Last Supper. And there's uh, three scriptures I want to show you right here. Y'all know the Last Supper. Y'all have seen it, right? The big long table, Jesus and His disciples. And all His disciples are all on one side of the table because He told them. He said, y'all... Come and all get on this side of the table because Leonardo da Vinci's over there in the corner and he's going to paint a, a picture of this thing. Or maybe he said get on this side because they're going to take a picture. But in the 14th chapter it says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. Things shifted, things changed. In the Old Testament, they weren't praying in the name of Jesus. But he says, now, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. The 15th, uh, the 14th chapter. Uh, let's see, that's not right. That's not uh, right either. And... Here, let me use my Bible right here. Um, I'm going to blame that on Jackie, but it's probably my fault. Usually is. I blame it on her, and then afterwards she shows me my notes that I did it wrong. So I'll go ahead and fess up and say it's probably my fault. So that was the 14th chapter, the 15th chapter, and the 16th um, verse is... You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Once again, you're asking the Father in my name. If you ask the Father in my name, that's what He's going to give you. And in the 16th chapter right here, um, 
And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, He'll give you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Do you see the difference there? He's saying, ask in my name. Ask in Jesus' name. Just like the song we just sang. Just like what they were going back and forth. Why do we ask in Jesus' name? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? They said it because there's victory in Jesus' name. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Why do we pray in the name of Jesus? Because there's victory in Jesus' name. He said, this is how you pray. And I'll go to the Father and make intercessory for you. There's victory in the name of Jesus. So why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Why would a day go by in our life that we don't pray in Jesus' name? Why would a problem or a situation arise and we just muscle through it and fight through it and go through it for days or weeks or months or years but never pray in the name of Jesus? Why would we do it? Why? I don't think we uh, consciously do it. I don't think we just wake up in the morning and go, I ain't praying today. Not praying in the name of Jesus today, just not doing it. I think it's just a subconscious thing where time goes by and you don't even realize you've even done it. It's not like you consciously make the decision and say, I'm not going to do it. I think I can make a long list of why we don't do it. Um, but a few things I jotted down was uh, one reason I think we don't do it is complacency. Complacency. Let me tell you, uh, laws are passed. Judges are appointed, presidents are elected, and a lot of things happen because Christians don't pray. Because they just get complacent. Complacency is not a good place to be in any area of your life. You should never get complacent. You should always want to be better and always strive to be better and always do your best and never say, well, this is just good enough. But complacency is a, is a thing that we fall into and don't even realize you, that you get into complacency. Next thing you know, it's stagnant and uh, time's move, moved on. Another thing I wrote down is settle. Just settle. We just settle for, it is what it is. This is just the way it is. This ache, this pain, this sickness, this disease, this problem, this financial situation, this relationship, whatever it is, I'm just going to settle for it. He never says to settle for it. Nowhere in the Bible does he say just settle, take what you can get. Just settle for whatever life throws at you. One time a guy said, you just got to learn to live with a little pain. No, you don't. You don't have to learn to live with a little bit of pain. Jesus went to a cross and he died for you. He took the pain so that you wouldn't have to. You don't have to settle. We're not supposed to settle. Romans, the fifth chapter and the 17th verse says, there's one man's offense who is Adam. And because of that one man's offense, death reigned through life. But guess what? Jesus Christ came up on the scene. And because of that one man's obedience, we're supposed to reign in life much more. We're not supposed to settle. We're supposed to reign in life. We're supposed to be victorious at school. You're supposed to be victorious at work. You're supposed to be victorious in your marriage, your finances, your health, your relationships. We're supposed to reign in life like kings and be victorious. It's scriptural. That's that's what He did for us. We're supposed to. You shouldn't ever just get into a place of settling and just settling. We're not settlers. You should be a trailblazer. I'm going to make a way. I'm going to blow a path through this place. Amen? Another thing is unbelief. 
Why don't we pray? Unbelief. Because here's the deal. If you really 100% believed in your heart and you didn't have any unbelief that you could pray and it could change the situation in your marriage, why wouldn't you pray? If you really believed and didn't have any doubt and you weren't in unbelief and you believed that you could pray and it would change the situation in your finances, why wouldn't you pray? It could change the situation in my relationship with my kids. I could pray for my kids and it would, it would make a difference. Do you believe it? Well, if you, if you did believe it, you'd do it. Unless you, find, unless you get into a place where you're settling or you get into a place of complacency. You understand? Y'all with me? It's unbelief, you know, because we, get, we think that here's something that happens. Got a few symptoms. Let's just say you got something on your body and, and you can see it. You're like, ooh, I don't... That don't look normal. You check it out. So we're going to get on the internet. And we're going to do a search of certain kind of dots or, or whelps or uh, something on my skin or irregular heartbeat or sweating and breathing different or whatever. Whatever the symptoms are. <clears throat> ten minutes on the internet is definitely going to do more than ten minutes of praying. Just stay off the internet. Don't even look up all that junk. And just spend your time praying. Amen. I'll amen myself. Because once you look at all that stuff, all that does is feed the unbelief and feed the doubt. It'll scare you. It'll try to get some fear deposited off in your heart. But God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Amen. And the other reason we don't pray, and like I said, make a long list. Just making a few points is discouragement. Well, I prayed for him. I prayed for her. I prayed for us. I prayed for that. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And then you get discouraged and you quit praying. Why should I pray about this? I prayed for that and that didn't work. So, I mean, what's the use? Right? Because we prayed for something. Things didn't work the way we wanted them to do, to work. Therefore, our bad experience changes the Word of God. It must. No, your bad experience doesn't change the Word of God. Your bad experience doesn't change the Word. The Word is still just as true as it was before as it is after. It'll never change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word is the only truth that there is. But... We get discouraged and uh, it didn't happen. And you know what? The enemy just uh, convolutes and distorts the way you look through things. And next thing you know, like I said, you don't even pray anymore because it didn't work last time. Well, his word's still just as true. And if something didn't work, I can tell you it wasn't on his end. That doesn't mean you're a terrible, bad sinner. That just what, what that does mean is that does not that that doesn't make the word of God any less true because you didn't get the results you wanted. The word's still true, amen. And disappointment's going to come, and you can get disappointed. Human beings disappoint you. I disappoint myself. I disappoint myself sometimes. I shouldn't have done that. 
I shouldn't have done that. I could have done a better job. I could have done, could have, would have, should have. You can get disappointed. That's okay. Move on. Discouragement, don't get discouraged. You can't, you can't, you can't get in a place of discouragement and stay there and think you're going to be productive. There's confusion. Um, talking about the sovereignty of God. And God is sovereign. But there's definitely confusion in the area when people talk about the sovereignty of God because I've heard it so many times in my life. I've been around other people, other pastors, different people at other churches, and I've heard them talk about God's sovereign. And I've been in hospital rooms and you're praying for somebody and they say, well, he's sovereign. Okay, what's that got to do with anything? We're standing on the Word of God. We're believing for a healing and then all they can say is, well, he's sovereign. What they're saying is, he's sovereign and he's going to do what he wants to do. Your prayer, what you speak, what you say, what you believe doesn't change anything because he's sovereign and he's just going to do what he wants to do anyway. That's not what the sovereignty of God even means. The so- sovereignty of God means uh, supremacy, that he's the supreme ruler of this entire universe. He is the supreme ruler of this entire universe. And say, he's going to just do what he wants to do anyway. Well, if he was going to do what he wanted to do anyway, why would we even pray? Why would he tell us to pray? Why would he tell us to stand on his word? Why would he tell us to speak to a mountain and tell it to be cast into the sea? Why would he tell us to tell demons to come out, lay hands on the sick, so that they shall recover? If he's going to do what he wants to do anyway. Do you see? That absolutely makes no sense. What that is, is it's a cop-out where there's nothing, there's nothing on you. There's no responsibility on you. There's no faith required of me. Mr. Preacher Man can go down to the hospital. No faith required of me. I'm just going to say, well, it's sovereign God. He'll just do what He wants to do. Don't take any faith to do that. An atheist could do that. But when people do believe that and think that He is going to do what He's going to do anyway, why would you pray? And people have been taught that. In Matthew the 6th chapter, the 8th verse, he says, Therefore do not be like them. That's where he's talking about the Pharisees, the, the, the religious people. He said, For your father knows the things you need of before you ask him. So people kind of combine these two and say, Well, he's sovereign anyway, and he already knows the needs. So why even ask? Why even pray? He's going to do what he wants to do anyway. And he already knows your needs, so why do you even bring your needs up to him? Why? Because he wants to be involved. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. I even asked, I asked my wife last night. I said, is there anything that I need to be doing different? Like, do I need to do something extra or something I'm not aware of because I'm just a human being? I don't know everything. Uh, I'm doing my best. But is there something I need to be doing for you that I, I'm missing or making a mistake out here? Please tell me. I want to know. And uh, of course, she told me that there's nothing. I'm absolutely perfect and wonderful and awesome. And um, but I wouldn't know if I didn't ask. I'm no mind reader. And so, um, but it, it, what it, it is is communication and working on a relationship. I don't want it to be complacent. 
I don't want her to have to settle. She doesn't want me to have to settle. I don't want to get complacent. You understand what I'm saying? She constantly getting better and better and better and better and better. And so talking to the Lord um, and, and making him a part of it. Um, you don't just say, well, he already knows anyway, so what's the use? That's not it. People misinterpret God's will. We could back up here, but you remember it says that your will be done on earth, in earth, right here, as it is in heaven, to pray that. That your will be done right here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, a lot of people say, well, it's God's will. Let's just pray God's will on the matter. Let's just pray His will. And that's their prayer. In other words, let me, let me think of an example here. Ten-year-old kid in a car accident. They're at the hospital. Doctors are there. Nurses are there. Not doing that good. It's not looking good. Well, there's some scriptures you can stand on. There's some scriptures that tells you what God's will is. But when you go in there and you say, well, let's just lay hands on this fellow or this little girl and say, Lord, let your will be done. Amen. Once again, nothing required of you. No faith required of you. You don't have to stand on the Scripture. You don't have to stand on the Word. You're just saying, God, your, your will be done. Well, it would really behoove you to get into the Word of God and find out what His will is. Because His will is not for that person to die. That's not His will. His will would never be for a mom to OD on drugs and leave uh, three kids w- without a mother. His will is never for dad to go out and get tanked up, run off the road, hit a pine tree and die, and leave these kids without a daddy to go to baseball, football, basketball, science project, whatever it is, take them fishing. That's not God's will. But people also stand up at the funeral and go, well, you never know what God's will is. You never know when He's going to take you. Like God killed them. Well, let me tell you, if He gets ready to take you, He don't need an 18-pack and a, and a pick-em-up truck and a pine tree to do it. I mean, you don't. That's just silly stuff. But um, God's will, let me, let me, let me move. His, move forward. His will is His desire. That's His desire for you. His desire for you is His will. So you can say will equals desire. Kind of like the last will and testament. Somebody's got a will and they die and you read it. Guess what? That will is their desire. Like my mom's will is going to say, uh, that my son gets everything that's paid for and all the all $68 I have in my savings account. And then it's going to say, and Caitlin gets all the unpaid bills. That's what her desire is going to be. I can just feel it. But will is a desire. God's desire he says in Second Peter, the third chapter, the ninth verse, he says, uh, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now His will, He's not willing that any should perish. His will, His desire is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. In other words, his desire is nobody's going to go to hell, but they all come into heaven. That is his will. That is his desire. Do all come to repentance and do all go to heaven? No. 
Is it His will for them to die and go to hell? No. The Scripture plainly says it is His will. But we know for a fact people die and go to hell every single day. In fact, somebody dies every 12 seconds in the United States of America. I don't know what the ratio of is of heaven and hell, but I can tell you some definitely do go to hell. Is that His will? No. So then you can sit here and say, well, His will doesn't get done. That's why He says pray in this manner. That right here on earth, that the will of the Father will be done here just like it is in heaven. Amen? It's His will that all shall come. See, here's the thing. God created us in His own image. God has a will. God has a desire. He created us in His own image, which means we have a will and we have a desire and we can do what we want to. And sometimes our will doesn't line up with His will. And His will doesn't get done because we want our will. You can take tithes and offerings, for example. It's, it's this plain. I do teachings on it and I lay it out and I try to make it elementary because I want people to be blessed. I want them to be blessed. I want them to understand how important it is. But you can just make it this real simple right here just like this. When it comes to tithes and offerings, there's one or two things that's going to be done. His will or your will. That's all there is to it. And if your will lines up with His will, then the windows of heaven will be opened and blessings will be poured out that you can't contain. Or you can say, that is not... My will is I'm not going to do it because I'm saving up for a new bass boat. Or I can't tithe and pay my cell phone bill. That's my will. Do you understand? It's as simple as His will or your will. We have our own will, unfortunately. And guess what? We do a lot of things... We do a lot of things wrong, don't we? You know what His will says right here in Jeremiah 29 11? He says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. His will are thoughts of peace. His will are not thoughts of evil. His will is to give you a future. His will is to give you a hope. That's His will for you. That's His desire for you. His will is not to give you uh, evil thoughts, to rob you of your peace. Uh, His will is not to destroy your future and rob you of your hope. But sometimes these things do happen in our lives and our futures do feel like they've been destroyed and you do feel like you've lost all hope and people will say, that's just God's will. He he put this sickness or this disease on you. It was His will. How could you... here's, Here's one thing I don't get. Is people will stand up and talk about how God took their child, took him, killed him is what they're saying. If if your two-year-old falls into a swimming pool and drowns because two-year-olds can't swim that I know of, and then you say, God took him, you're saying God killed him. That's what you're saying. He killed him. But God's nature is not to be a murderer. He's not a murderer. He gives life. He gives it more abundantly. He doesn't kill. But then you say, well, God took him because God wanted to draw me closer to him. I don't want to be close to a person that's killed my son or my daughter. (laughs) The only reason I want to get close to him is to choke him to death. Beat him to death. Whatever I can do to kill him. That's the truth. If someone was to kill one of my children, the only reason I would want to get into arms reach of them is to kill them back. And that's exactly what I do unless somebody stop me. Did I say that? 
I did. I'm just being transparent. The Lord would definitely have to intervene. But just right here, Red thinking in his mind, somebody harming him, they wouldn't even have to kill him. They could just hurt him real bad and I'd still kill him. But if the Lord intervened before I could get to him, let's hope that's what happens. But I don't believe that's going to happen anyway. I'm just giving a, an example of this. If God is teaching you a lesson and he took all your money, God's going to teach you a lesson. He's going to make you sick. He's going to give you cancer, teach you a lesson. He's going to draw you closer by killing your kids. Why would you go to, if a human being took all your money and a human being killed your spouse and a human being uh, uh, put some disease on you and now you're in a time of need, now you're in a time of trouble, would you go to that human and ask him for help? What? Oh, Lord, no. You wouldn't go to him and ask him for help. You would go to him and say, hey, we're going to go fishing. Here, take this brick right here and tie it around your neck. So in other words, when God gets to blame for the work of Satan and you don't know any different in your mind because that's the way you've been taught, well, of course, why would you go to him and pray? His thoughts for you, towards you are of peace and not of evil to give you hope in the future. And good things happen in your life uh, because your will lines up with God's will. And then you bring His will from heaven to earth. Do you think a breakthrough is coming without prayer? You need a breakthrough in your life and we're just going to sit here and do nothing and breakthrough is just going to happen. I've never heard any preacher, any teacher, anybody give a report at church, a uh, uh, testimony and go, yeah, this situation arise in my life. I had this problem and I did absolutely nothing. I didn't read the Word. I didn't stand on the Scripture. I prayed none. And next thing you know, boom, breakthrough. God delivered me. I never heard that. And you won't ever hear it because that's not the way it works. Amen. Nothing good happens without prayer. There's no breakthrough without prayer. You can sit on your couch in your recliner and you can say, God, uh, if it's your will, um, my neighbor over there, I know he's not saved. He's going to hell. But if it's your will, Lord, would you just send him on up here to church this Sunday? Now, you know what God's will is? His will is for you to get your will out of the recliner and go over there and witness to your neighbor. God, if it's your will for my son to get off these drugs, do it. No, you know what? It's your will to be the daddy or the mother and go minister, to pray, to fast for your son or for your daughter to get off those drugs. To get your will up out of the recliner and do something. To pray. Because if you think something's happening without prayer, you're mistaken. And we're still talking about the sovereignty of God. And I'm fixing to read the scripture to you right here. And I'm going to tie it all together and we're going to get out of here. And we're reading this scripture and you're going to think, what in the world does this mean? Well, hang on. It'll make sense at the end, I promise. And let me say this. You know, we're talking about prayer. This is week two. Might be another week or two or three or four. I don't really know. And this is more uh, uh, teaching. And, you know, it's, it's not like most of my sermons, I feel like have a point. You know, like they come full circle to a point. So you can leave and you can say, I know what that was about today. Because I'm really big on that. I like that. I want everybody to leave here. And, and if you ask them what the sermon was about, they can tell you and not go, oh, 
Well, I don't know. It's good, though. But when you're teaching, it's just like sometimes you just teach for a while and you have to just cut her off because we're out of time and we're just going to pick back up next week. Do you understand? So we're, we're going through this weekly and we're, we're learning, we're getting better, we're leaving out better than we came in. Amen? Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, the 8th verse. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, that will be my cousin, came to me in the court of prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of your inheritance, the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was the word of the Lord. Now that's very important that you see there. And if you're a note taker, right of inheritance, right of redemption. That's what you need to Take note of right of inheritance and right of redemption. Amen. He says, I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was an Anathoth, and weighed out the money to him at 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and I sealed it. Took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed both which was sealed according to the law and the custom and that which was open. So that the next thing you need to write down is purchase deed and open deed. The purchase deed or the sealed deed and the open deed. Write that down, sealed deed and the open deed. So what in the world does all this mean? Well, we're talking about why would we pray in the name of Jesus? Because there's victory in the name of Jesus. And because God's sovereign. And... Right here, right here, Jeremiah's father has bought a field and he owns this land. And God told him, he said, one day your cousin's going to come to you and he's going to make this proposition to you, buy it back. Okay? So Jeremiah already knew this was going to happen because he said it happened just like the word of the Lord said. But here's Jeremiah's dad. Dad has passed away and his uncle has bought the land. I'm assuming his uncle bought the land from his mother. Probably uh, no different than today. If the father passed away and he was the one uh, uh, bringing home the bacon. And mom had to sell the land to his brother uh, to help pay some bills. So Jeremiah's brother has bought the land. And Jeremiah's brother has the land. And Jeremiah's uh, a cousin who is his uncle's son comes to him and he's the one having this conversation with him right here. And he says, uh, I want you to buy this land. And like I said, there's a right of inheritance. And let me back up right here. For the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption is yours. Both the right of inheritance and the redemption is yours. So what does that mean? Well, his uncle bought the land. But when his uncle passes away, you would think the right of inheritance would go to his son, but it doesn't. It goes back to Jeremiah. That's just the way God established it. It'll make sense to you in just a moment. That's the way God established it with this right of inheritance and this right of redemption. So there's an open deed and there's a sealed deed. The open deed means whoever you sell the land to, trade the land to, whatever. There's an open deed where you can sign it. Just no different than you can sign the deed today. It's open. You can sign the owner's and the new owner's name to the deed, who you're selling it to. But there's also a sealed deed which ties in with the right of redemption. The sealed 
still deed is the original owner of the land has the right of redemption and he has this sealed deed. His name is on it. His name will always be on it. And at any time he can use the right of redemption and buy that land back. And he's saying, Jeremiah, you've got the right of inheritance because when my uncle or when my father dies, your uncle dies, it's going to go back to you because of the right of inheritance. And you also have the sealed deed, which means you have the right of redemption. You have both. God gave Adam dominion uh, over this land, over this earth. God's always talking about land. He's always talking about the earth. He's always talking about the ground. And God gave Adam dominion. But we know Adam lost it to Satan. And we know that for a fact because Satan carries Jesus up to a high point. He says, look at this land. See all this land out here? Earth? See this kingdom? It's mine. I can give it to you though. He said, I can give it to you. Jesus didn't say, no, you, you can't because it's not yours. He didn't say that because it was his. It was his because he had dominion because Adam lost it to him. Y'all, re- y'all remember the story where Satan tempts Jesus? He says, I can give you all this if you'll bow down to me. Y'all remember? So here's what happened is God gives Adam the open deed. God gave Adam the open deed. But God kept the closed deed for himself. Because you, you read in Revelations chapter 5, and it says the Father's sitting on His throne, and He's sitting there with a sealed scroll in His hand. He's sitting there with a sealed deed in His hand. And they say, is there anybody worthy that can open this? And they said, no, no one's found worthy to open this. And John's weeping, and one of the elders touched John on the shoulder, and he said, don't weep any longer because the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and He can open the sealed scroll, he can open the sealed deed. See, Jesus could open it. You know why? Because he was the son of God. And he had the right of inheritance. But also, he exercised his right of redemption and purchased you back. Why don't we pray in the name of Jesus? Well, that's why. He purchased you back with his blood just so you could pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? I think y'all have had enough. Praise team, y'all come on up. We're just going to... I know we're just chopping her off right there, but I think we're leaving home, leaving here better than we came in today. We're praying in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why? Because there's victory in Jesus' name. In fact, we're going to sing that right here, right now again. There's victory in Jesus' name. You've got an area in your life you need victory in? Making the power bill next week? Buying some new tires for your car? you got a son or a daughter that's rebelling? You need some victory in that area? you got a relationship situation? Or maybe there's some type of a bondage in your life. Maybe that bondage goes all the way back to childhood. Most of the time they do. Most of the time any bondage in a human being's life can be tracked all the way back to their father. That's a fact. It can be tracked all the way back to daddy. Not that daddy was always bad, but there's, there's, there's a certain kind of bondages, different types of bondages. We, we're not even going to get into that. But what I'm saying, you need victory in that area. You need to be set free. You need the chains to be broken. There's victory, and it's only found in one name, and it's the name of Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 